Hi, welcome to Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA plus stories and support. My name is Amory Zanzel and I am a lesbian. I'm an ordained minister and I am a person who is passionate and curious about other people's stories and also coach women through the coming out process later in life. I created this series because I believe that through stories and storytelling, we can learn, discover, and connect with each other. Hearing others' stories always brings us closer together. So today I have a friend of mine on. Her name is Marissa Mitchell. She lives in Southern Indiana and she is a teacher. Welcome, Marissa. Nice to have you. Nice to be here. So Marissa, tell me your story. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I could probably start when I realize things and then maybe trace it back um, to the puzzle pieces that finally fit. I was it 39. It is a puzzle, isn't it? it I, I think it always has to be if you figure things out late. Yeah. I was 39, I'm 41 now. So this was actually about two and a half years ago. Um, unhappily married and my ex-husband won't mind me admitting that. We were very much like roommates. We had been junior high sweethearts and had lost touch until our late 20s we had started dating again and then just after we got engaged i got orders calling me back into the army to deploy to iraq so i spent the first year and a half of our marriage gone um so 10 years or so into our marriage i think at that point we were right at 11. Um, we'd gone through some struggles we weren't happy i had never had the connection that i felt i should have had with him Mm -hmm. It felt a lot more like roommates um, raising a child, but neither of us wanted to call it quits because that felt like failure. And we both had divorced parents. So we were managing, you know, um, two very different people. I'm very type A, very highly organized. He's the opposite. So mm -hmm. my stress level was always very high and his anger level was always very high. And uh, the school year had just ended and I was about a week out of the school year and you know when the school year ends for me I tend to have a lot of time to think I have a lot of free time and I've also found that that isn't always a good thing mm -hmm. and one morning I woke up and realized I was completely and hopelessly in love with a female friend wow was that something you had ever experienced before no okay um, not the depth of the feeling and certainly not with a woman mm -hmm. and it it took me by surprise and frankly it put me in very dangerous emotional territory because I'm in the middle of a marriage I had uh, my daughter at the time was seven or eight mm -hmm. that's not a place where you want to have an epiphany that indicates that you are never going to be happy in the marriage you're in and I had been through marriage counseling um, to try to figure out what my problem was I figured it was my problem that I couldn't make things work so this coming out of the blue was awful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's interesting you say my problem do you still think of it as your problem no I mean I knew that marriage takes two but I was the only one willing to go to counseling so there were some, there were some specific issues um, for me without going into details related to our intimate life that I figured might be a result of trauma mm -hmm. or of some type of um, social norm that I experienced in my upbringing that might make that part of our relationship better if I could solve that issue mm -hmm. between the lines on that. Mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. that's why I had actually, I was about to see a therapist for that specific issue. Cause I thought maybe I can fix this problem. Uh, my marriage will be better. My okay. husband 
husband at the time, will stop antagonizing me as much. I will not be as anxious and irritable and we'll just get along better. Well, it's so interesting. I want to get back to your story, but it's so interesting is that women tend to take on the responsibilities of the problems of the marriage. Would you I believe agree? that. And yeah. I think also, I mean, I look back to the jokes of my teenage years, the sitcoms, and I think women are also conditioned to believe that relationships with men are inherently unsatisfying. Right, we are. I mean, to be frank, it was 10 minutes after I learned what an orgasm was that I also learned about what faking it was. Mm -hmm. I grew up on commercials that joked about how you could take a little bit of aspirin and it would be gentle on your stomach, but would also convince your husband you had a headache. Mm -hmm. I think about the sitcoms on Friday nights, like Family Matters or Everyone Loves Raymond, where you've got this high powered type A intelligent wife and the husband is kind of a doofus. So right. it's like, we're set up to believe it's normal for you to be physically, emotionally, and mentally unsatisfied in your relationship. Men are just limited. That's exactly right. And honestly, you are the first, you're not the first person who's brought this up. Somebody else brought up, you know, my, my idea of what um, normal quote unquote family life was the Brady Bunch or the Partridge family where, you know, there would be some little tiny conflict and it was all resolved in the, in the half an hour and everybody was singing at the end of the show. <laughs> and, and it, with, for those of us who've come from troubled childhoods, when you don't have an example of what a healthy family life is, you just think you've got to smooth everything over and everything's going to be fine. Yeah. yeah. That's what we're taught. And I really appreciate what you brought up about the examples that were like what's examples in the media and we and women are conditioned to think oh this is going to be hard i'm going to be smarter than my husband and that's just the status quo right and i'm going to balance everything i'm going to balance the job and the household and the child rearing i'm just always going to be stressed out and anxious and resentful and that's really where i was at this point i was stressed out and anxious and resentful and i need to caveat my ex-husband is one of my very best friends. Yes, now. I know that. Yeah, you guys are yeah. good friends. So yeah, I was the best man in his wedding this summer and I'm the godmother <laughs> to his four-month-old son. So, so, you know, I as I as I talk about where my marriage was, I don't want anybody to think that my ex-husband was a bad person um, or that we don't get along because I really have I have the best case scenario mm -hmm. in terms of the the dissolution of my marriage and the after effect of my coming out. But I guess back to that. So you woke up. I woke up and was just an feeling. Um, yeah. And, you know, later on, I look back, I had, I had experienced attraction to women all the way back to my teenage years, but I didn't mentally label it that. It was more, in my mind, it was more either fascination or intimidation. Um, I grew up in Southern Indiana. This is not a diverse place. We mm -hmm. did not talk about anything related to being gay. I didn't know any gay people other than one boy in my graduating class that people kind of knew. Um, you know, I went into the military after college during the don't ask, don't tell. Mm -hmm. So I don't think in my mind, I ever considered the fact that I could be. My sophomore year in high school, a girl in my choir said, I bet at your 10 year reunion, you're going to come back and we're going to find out you're gay. Mm -hmm. And that bothered me so much. Mm -hmm. Not so much that I had a problem with people being gay, but more that people would think I was something that I was so clearly not. But to be honest, I fit a lot of the stereotypes. Right. So my entire 
you know, life, I've thought I'm the one defying the stereotypes. Nah, I, I fit a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So I had this feeling I was, I was horribly depressed. Um, mm-hmm. I can tell you that if I hadn't had a family, I probably wouldn't be here mm-hmm. because I, I was ill-equipped to deal with that. Um, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I thought I must be crazy. How can you, how can you suddenly feel this way? And it took, it was probably three weeks later that I, the first person I told was my husband and mm-hmm. he was phenomenally supportive. And he even said, there have been times when I kind of wondered. Right. But it, you know, it's so funny, you know, it's so funny is that a lot of us get that feedback when we come out, you know, and it's, and you know, the thing is, first of all, a lot of times we're like, well, why didn't you say anything? <laughs> right. Of course. But, how do you work that into a conversation? Are you sure you're not gay? Yeah, but it's okay. But the thing is, is, is there's still such a level of um, non-acceptance. People are afraid to ask that question because they feel like that would be an embarrassing question to ask somebody, or that would be a question that would cause, you know, you know, could upset somebody or something like that. So people don't ask that question. Wouldn't it be nice if people could just ask that question and it not be a big deal? Right. If, if everybody ultimately- Everybody, you know, if we all lived in shit's Creek, right? Right. <laughs> surprise when you found out that anybody was straight or gay and there wasn't there wasn't really a need to come out that was unique to yeah right right it'd be just like one of those questions like where do you live yeah you know? <laughs> so anyway so you i understand too of the shake, shaking of the foundations and the deep sadness that comes with that right and yeah. i understand that and i really struggle and and I, as myself i struggled with the same thing with a very, very deep sadness. And if I didn't have support and professional help, which I went and got, I, I would have, it would have been a lot worse. Well, and my ex was so supportive and we were so close and I don't know if that was better or worse. It's definitely better now. Mm-hmm. But I remember sobbing when I went and filed the paperwork because he told me, he said, we can make this work. We can, we can stay married and then you know, do our own thing. And I, I told him, I said, I don't think that's fair to either of us because frankly, I'm not one for sharing. Mm-hmm. Even if we are acknowledging that um, that romantic element of our relationship is non-existent, I, I can't do that. And why would you want to limit yourself in that way? Well, yeah. And I understand that too, because I feel like, although people can choose whatever path they want to choose, right? to me, that would be a half-life. And I never wanted a half-life. No, and I want, and my, my ex is a wonderful person and I wanted him to be able to be loved the way he deserved to be loved and to have someone who was hundred percent committed to him and, you know, he's, great. <laughs> and he's remarried and, you know, we live half a mile down the road and it's a very, very close friendship. So that works well, but at the time my world was crashing down. Yeah. Um, and the one thing I was grateful for is the fact that at least I'm an adult you know, I'm financially secure. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember reading the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle and thinking, this is a great book, but let's be real. Glennon also had pretty well unlimited resources. This is not someone who's worried about the finances of well, departures. Yes. Well, don't get me started. But also too, you know, not everybody ends up with the Olympic right. gold <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, her, yeah, her, her situation was absolutely very unique, ideal. very unique. And, and so I, I don't, I try not to 
to preach or judge because my situation I, I feel has also been um, mm-hmm. very much closer to the ideal than the mm-hmm. many other people who've, who've had this same type of epiphany. Um, yeah. So I told him and I said, I don't know what to do about this. Um, I was 100% committed to the fact that I was not going to be involved with anybody mm-hmm. while we were still married. I, and that, that was a personal boundary for me that I wasn't going to cross. Mm-hmm. And he agreed with that as well. So we had actually had open divorce proceedings from two years prior um, in the wow. state of Indiana. Yeah. yeah, there's an initial filing and then there's kind of a final filing and you can do, Indiana's a no, you know, a no fault divorce state. You can get a divorce because it's Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, had, you have to wait six weeks between the initial filing and the uh, final dissolution. So I sat on it for a little while knowing that our initial was still actually already in the system. Um, so finally we kind of talked through the particulars. Our conversation happened at the end. I realized things at the beginning of May, our conversation happened at the end of May. Um, we really kicked it into gear on the divorce in September and we were, our divorce was final in October. Wow. So that was really quick. It, it was very fast. And, and the timing, the timing was good in that regard. Mm-hmm. It was fast enough to limit our pain, but mm-hmm. slow enough to allow us to figure out the logistics. Mm-hmm. And I lived, I continued to live in the house until um, I closed on my house and my daughter and I actually moved to our new house on Christmas day that year. Mm-hmm. That was our first day, our overnight in our new house, which is literally half a mile from the house, you know, our old house, which is the one that my um, ex-husband now shares with his wife and son and our daughter when she's over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, his schedule is very difficult and he works nights. So I'm the, I'm the primary for all intents and purposes, but I guess, sorry, I'm jumping around chronologically after I told him, okay, so that part was over. At least I could talk to him openly about it. And I'm grateful for that. He never made me feel bad. He never shamed me. And and what I really valued is he never, he never took it as an attack on his manhood. Mm -hmm. There was no issue with his pride. Mm -hmm. I told him I wasn't ready to tell people, but he, at no point did he ever say to me, I don't want people to know Mm -hmm. that this is why. Mm -hmm which I'm grateful for. Go ahead. So I've told my husband and now I don't know what to do with this any, at this point. Mm-hmm. And I told my best friend on her, and this is not the woman yes, I had feelings else. for, just to clarify, clarify. So I told her on the porch of her dad's house at midnight, because we used to drive around late at night and solve the world's problems and listen to music because that's what middle-aged women with kids do when they don't have a social life. <laughs> And she was a hundred percent supportive. Uh, she's a school guidance counselor. And, you know, I think some of her training kicked in because I was very clearly in crisis and that, and slowly, but surely with the support of my ex and my friend, I was able to come out to the people who were closest to me. And especially because I was going through that divorce and that transition period. And I needed, I needed the people close to me to understand why my emotions were kicking in mm-hmm. random times. And it was, it was a very difficult process. Can I ask you a question since I know you had a child under 10 when this all mm-hmm. happened and people are always wondering, how do I tell my kid? So <laughs> what happened? Our, our case is interesting. Uh, my daughter sees a therapist and has for several years because she's got anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I had told her therapist that, you know, the divorce was happening. Mm-hmm. I told her yeah, I told her therapist why, 
we kept the details very, very vague from Lily and, you know, tried to focus on the positives that we would still be close. And her therapist came to me at one point and said, you need to tell your daughter that you're gay. And I said, why would I do that? And her therapist said, because she thinks she might be, and she feels alone and like no one will get it. Um. So I came out to my daughter at a stoplight on the way home, <laughs> on the way home from her therapy session. Every parent's conversation happens in the car. Right. <laughs> well, I'd had, I knew that the, it sounded like this therapy session had been pretty emotional and difficult. And Lily was clearly um, yeah. distraught as a result of whatever, you know, whatever she talked about. Because as you know, nobody feels wonderful the moment they leave the therapist's office. Usually you're recovering. Yes, you yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> and I was taking her to her grandparents and they were plans I could not break. And so I leaned back and I said, there's something I need to tell you. Mm -hmm. A big portion of the reason, well, really the whole reason that your father and I are divorcing is because I'm a lesbian and her eyes widened and she smiled, which, and she reached out and took my hand. And again, the wisdom of my then uh, eight-year-old, she said, oh, mom, I feel so close to you now. <laughs> yeah. And and, you know, she's young, so she's still figuring out who she is and her identity, but she, if she, whether she's a member of the community or whether um, she's a staunch ally, she draws nothing but rainbows all the time. Mm -hmm. um, she knows more about the flags and, <laughs> and all of the terminology than I do. Yeah. She even, her teacher sent home, every kid was coloring a, a coloring page from the story of how the Grinch stole Christmas. Mm -hmm. Slowly brings home this picture of the Grinch handing gifts to three different children and she spends like an hour working on it and she's in fifth grade I mean who colors for that long and when she comes out the Grinch is wearing pride flag colors and the three kids are wearing pan trans and non-binary flag colors so it looks like the gay Grinch is giving gifts to his you should I want a copy of that picture. I can, I can totally send it to you. Yeah, we can put it at the end of the podcast so people can see what it is because that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, she is, she is brilliant and, and self-assured and I mean, she's my world. She's my, she's my best girl. And, and to be able to, to experience this journey with her, again, whether or not, whatever her identity is, doesn't matter to me. And she knows that she knows that that those things don't change her Anything. value or how yeah. we love her. And, and her dad is on board with that. And again, I can't, I can't praise him highly enough because, you know, they're in this area and with the upbringing that some of us have had, that kind of um, acceptance and love is not always a guarantee and it's not always passed generationally. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yes, it is. So yeah, that's. So you got the help you needed. And then, then what happened? <laughs> well, you know, I, I slowly started coming out. Um, the divorce process was difficult. I was very conflicted because I loved my husband. I still love him. I, I can't put a label on that relationship, you know, like parent or sibling or child or partner. There's no label for the relationship that we have. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that also made it difficult. The first night we stayed in our house, and it really hit me that we were no longer together. Um, and sorry, I might get a little emotional because it still brings up emotions. I remember 
Lily was playing in the living room. We didn't have all of our furniture yet. And I locked myself in the bathroom and I called him and I said, I think I've made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, you haven't. You are the one who saved us. You're Mm going to be fine. So, you know, here's my ex-husband encouraging me and. Well, but, but also too, he gets, like you said in the beginning, he gets a life that he deserves, you know what I mean? To be with somebody who's straight and who will love yes. <laughs> as a straight woman yes you know? absolutely who, yeah. who is a wife but I mean, that's the thing but the thing is too it's really normal in the process of divorcing whether you know whether you're gay or straight it doesn't matter in the process of divorcing to have moments of doubt it is super normal well it yeah you're grieving a loss it is so, yeah you're grieving a loss and it's super normal to go in the bathroom and cry <laughs> but yep. still be okay and then be and, and then 10 minutes later be like oh thank right. you on that you know so yeah and I haven't had many moments like that since um one thing that occurred after the transition period was over I've always been a high anxiety person mm-hmm. high anxiety lessened tremendously mm-hmm. um just the pressure that constant pressure of going home knowing there was something not right knowing that I was going to be stressed or angry. And, and now so much of it makes sense. I was resentful of him, even when he hadn't done anything mm-hmm. that would constitute a mistake or that would constitute antagonism. Um, it was like I resented having to try to make a marriage work when I knew my heart wasn't in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, plus, I am much more organized and he is a little more lackadaisical with household chores and cleaning. So (laughs) my house looks good. It is clean. And in fact, he likes to come over to disrupt if he stops by and visits and, you know, he's got the code to my garage. The man can get into my house at any time. And again, we have, and vice versa. And we have a very unique relationship. Mm -hmm. But if he comes over to drop something off, he'll leave all my cabinet doors open. He'll open every single cabinet. The is there. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. He asked that he have his own special cup for when he comes over to drink water out of the refrigerator faucet because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I have a question for you so where did you find support so I know you found it in your family and friends but I know that we met through a mutual support group that was online yes Um, so where did you find support and where have you built support since then um well my friends have been great but even the most wonderful friends who are straight can't fully understand. They've been supportive, they've been compassionate, and it's, it's through no failing of their own. Um, but you know, this is an experience that among my social group that I'm kind of walking alone, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I, just by luck of the draw through a mutual th- friend connected with the mutual support group that you have mentioned, mm-hmm. and you know, met several wonderful ladies at a conference I attended, all people who were in a similar circumstance. And that was huge for me because frankly, I thought what kind of bizarre, crazy person figures out in their late thirties that they're actually gay, right? But I didn't know people existed like that. I thought this has got to be an anomaly. So when I discovered that there are more than a few of us. Well, yeah. um, And I mean, like the support group that I joined that you're in a part of, um, Literally, I joined with 150 and now there's over 2,000 people. And yeah, that's in four years. So that, and that doesn't even scratch the surface. No, um, it doesn't scratch the surface. You know, and, and the, go ahead. Well, when I, when I went to this conference, um, in order to make housing work, a bunch of us who had never met before and who hadn't even talked before decided to share an Airbnb. 
-hmm. So the leap of faith that it took took for all of us from all across the country to room together for three Mm -hmm. nights in a house and all of us in various states of, oh my God, what is happening to me? We are, we were not the most you know, stable because <laughs> we were, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're talking about a lot of women in various states of what I would argue is emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. Never met each other, but you got each other. And, and that's actually them. I always keep them over my shoulder. I've got them both here in my classroom and also at my, I know that picture. Yeah. That's in the uh, shower, isn't it? Is that the one in the shower? No, it's a closet. It was a really okay. big They were in a really big, I was at this conference. They were in a really, really big house. So well, it was <laughs> scary. And I remember two days before going to this thinking, I'm not going to do this. This That's is going to be very normal. Yeah. I mean, just. I've done I like. Do this with any group, let alone a whole bunch of women who had decided later in life that they were lesbian. Well, I've done five conference, four conferences and, um, Marissa was mentioning conference that I was I was facilitating with some other people, and it was really it's really interesting. Invariably, there's one or two people who said, "I got in the car, and I start drove like five miles, and then I turned around and I went." And then I, you know, like it was really really hard for them because really, when you come to a conference like that, typically you have to be in a certain mental state where you know that you need help, but you also want to meet community, and that's the like what happened to you all that's what was wonderful is you met community and I'd never been to a conference like that I mean I've gone to lots of professional conferences but to go to a conference where feelings are going to be involved (laughs) um, (laughs) you know that that it made me cringe but at the same time you know having connected in this support group I thought okay this would be good for me I need to meet some people Mm -hmm. and it was um, probably the most life-altering weekend of my life Mm-hmm. And I remember walking in and, and two people had already made it to the house, but they had gone to get dinner. So, and this house was gorgeous. So I walk in and I'm looking around and I'm terrified. I mean, I, my anxiety's up. I'm alone in the house. We had kind of arranged who was going to sleep where and figured out bedrooms, but I didn't exactly know where I was supposed to go. And um, I remember the first woman who walked in and Diane will not have a problem with me mentioning her name because I told her this. Um, she's older than me, uh, wonderful woman. And had been but, out a while in the group. Yes, it was nice. Been out a while. And, yeah. and I remember she walked in first and I, and I kind of looked at her and I was in this mindset and I thought, I really am gay. <laughs> like, I mean, I just, I felt this vibe mm-hmm. uh, and I can't explain that, but what's mm-hmm. funny and, and I'll go into that a little later is I felt the vibe before and, and I know when yeah. I'm looking at a lesbian. Yeah, yes, exactly. And, and I know when, you know, and I thought as, well, as these women all began to trickle in, I thought there is no way I would be this excited about if I were in a house full of room and teachers. Like I'm, <laughs> what? <laughs> a room you'd be like, ah, there's some more teachers. <laughs> well, or men. I mean, just like, wow, this is, I am feeling something. And I'm also thinking that several of these women are very attractive. Attractive, yes. Um, in a way that I never would have noticed. I mean, you could have paraded the Chippendales in front of me and I would not have had, I would have been like, oh, muscles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, again. But you know what the funny thing is, is that you don't realize it until you have some no. night. I remember, yeah, I, I definitely get that, you know. And, and we so, were all in different stages. I mean, in yeah. the house, I was one of the younger ones. Um, there were a couple of us in our late thirties 
And then we had some ladies in the, up to their late fifties, all in different stages. I, at this point, this was the following February or March after my divorce. So I was divorced and moved in April. Together. You guys came in April. Okay. That's right. Oh, was that late? Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I was through the divorce, but dealing with the emotional after effects, there were other women who were all the way through. There was a woman who had just told her husband yes. you know, a few weeks prior. And, and even now, when I hear women talk about being in the process, I still have an emotional reaction to it. I still mm -hmm. remember. Well, it's only been a couple of years too. Right. I mean, yeah. I still remember the agony and even though I'm on the other side and again, I have an ideal situation. Mm -hmm. I still remember the pain, but we became very close. And after the conference, we started doing uh, Zoom calls every other week. And COVID has kind of thrown our schedule off. But, you know, we're well over a year and a half post-conference. And we are still each other's go-to. To talk through things. In, yeah, in times of, of, dis of joy and distress. We were actually planning a reunion this past summer on the West Coast. And then COVID happened. So we all had to cancel our flights. But well, I think what you're talking about is what is something that I think is really important is community. You know, a lot of people are, when they first come out, they're like, I got to find a girlfriend. I got to find a girlfriend. And <laughs> you know what you need to find? You need to find community. You need to find other women that get it. You know, your community happens to be a lot of people that are late in life, lesbians, but a lot of times you can find women in the lesbian community that have been out for a while. And like my partner, who you know, has been out for 30 years, who are very supportive and kind and just want to help other women because like, as Tanda says, more people for the party. So she's- oh, yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew more of those. I think there are times when I struggle with a sense of almost like imposter syndrome. You know, I never, I never went through the anxiety of adolescent yeah, coming but, out. You know, but the thing is, is so I think that's a, I think in a lot, lot of ways that's irrelevant because coming out is coming out. So right. no matter who's done it, you, it is the shared experience of our community. So whether you do it when you're 15 or 55, it is still, it has different ramifications. I always like to say that when you come out when you're younger, and people are all upset and all uptight is a lot of times they're grieving a future, you know? Yes. When you come out later in life, you're grieving a past that you missed a lot of the times. And you're also grieving your future because a lot of times you've been married, have kids, you think you're going to just go into old age doing that stuff. And then, right. you think, oh, I'm not going to be going. Into and it's funny, like, it's a reframing of your life. Yeah. Going yeah. to weddings and, and watching, you know, a lot of weddings have that dance where they have the married couples come out and slowly but surely they eliminate them based on years. And I think this happens for anybody who gets divorced or who changes their life in that regard in middle age or after, because as I'm seeing people, you know, these couples that are at year 45 and year 50 and, and they look so happy and, and people are applauding, I'm thinking, not ever going to have that. That's not going to happen. So that's so funny you mentioned that <laughs> because... I was saying the other day is that, you know, we give such rewards for people who've been married for a really long time. And a lot of times people aren't happy when they've been married a super long time. And I said, the only reward you get is in those marriage dances <laughs> where people clap because you've been together 50 years. Right. You know what I mean? Well, so. and my parents, my mom, you know, is remarried. My parents were divorced. So the same thing. And my parents, my mom and my stepfather are very happy. They are, I mean, they are. Mm -hmm. They made goals. Right. So Second time was the charm for both of them. Yeah. And so instead of getting a, you know, a clap at a wedding, 
know, right. They won't they get as long. Yeah. Right. They won't get as long, but the quality is there. And that's and that's kind of the approach I take mentally. If and when that happens, at least I'm gonna do it right the second time and I'm gonna make sure that I'm not settling or that I don't have reservations about my level of emotional commitment. Because I definitely did when I got married. I felt I knew I didn't feel exactly what I was supposed to feel, but I assumed that that was probably because my expectations were too high. Mm. Or maybe that's something that you grow into. And again, I look at that. I look at women I was fascinated with. Yeah. These should have all been warnings. Um, the fact that in the army, I was not the one who was terribly interested in my coworkers. Well, you know, the funny thing is though, is that I think one of the reasons why I wanted to do these podcasts is because because I wanted to normalize this experience so that maybe somebody's a little bit young, you know, maybe they're 20, 28, 29, and maybe they did get married. And all of a sudden we're talking about these things and we're like, they should have been red flags. Why don't I see right. that red flag? But somebody who is maybe younger than us or maybe is in their early twenties and this is all happening for them. Right. And, and they hear this and they say, oh, maybe I should pay attention to this because I don't want to be like Marissa anymore. <laughs> to go through this when well, they're yeah, in their exactly. 30s and 50s. And on the bright side, you know, I'm glad I wouldn't change a thing because I have my daughter. Any yeah. any deviation from the path that I took would have resulted in me not having her. So I'm very grateful with where my life has taken me. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that everybody should wait until 40 to have that epiphany, but yeah, I think I think, well, I think for me yeah. that's the silver lining. Well, I think it's making pieces with the choices you've made. And I'm not saying that being and I'm to be very clear, I'm not saying being gay is a choice, but like the right. choices in life to get married and stuff like that. Right. So I wanna, we're sort of running out of time. So I want to ask you one, a couple of things. You came home from the conference and was inspired. And what happened at your school afterwards? Because you are a teacher. Yes. Um, I, ironically, I was the teacher. Someone, one of my students joked that I was the gay whisperer because I've had a lot of students choose me as their first person to come out to. And that's also not uncommon with English teachers because we talk a lot about feelings and, and uh, yeah, right. And self-expression comes out in writing far more than in math class when you're doing math problems. Um, so I did some research and I thought, you know, I wonder if there would be a need for a gay straight alliance because I looked them up and I thought, you know, we had a pride club, but they didn't have much focus there. They were very small. Um, they, they weren't trying to accomplish anything. So mm -hmm. When I realized that there was a formal organization called a GSA, I reached out to three or four of my students who were members of the LGBT community, LGBTQ community over the summer and said, hey, do you think this would be something that we have a need for? Mm -hmm. They said, absolutely. Where do we start? So we kind of put together a basic plan. And at our very first meeting, we had 45 students show up. Wow. And then That's impressive. How big is the school? Uh, we have a school of about 2,000, and this was really not, wonderful. That's two percent of your population, right? And this is an after this was an after school meeting. Wow! So this wasn't even during school because normally when you start a club at our high school, you need to basically show for a semester that there's enough interest to justify a spot during our Thursday homeroom schedule for, to be like a, you know, a club that has guaranteed time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Over the course of that semester, we grew on our Google Classroom to over 60 students. Wow. Um, what was really great is the number of faculty members who wanted to help. So 
I have five faculty members plus our school social worker who reached out to me. I did not reach out. They said, let us be part of this. Um, How exciting. Yes, it sends a message to the kids. So our we became, you know, a, a club that met during the school day, um, second semester last year, you know, just in time for COVID. And in that time we had, you know, we had, we came out as a club on national coming out day, uh, selling bracelets at a football game. And, you know, we had done a couple type of awareness activities. Um, we participated in uh, a banner designing for the Riley Dance Marathon. You know, it just kind of gets your name out there. You know, we had shirts. We had lots of other plans. We were going to march in the Pride Parade in Evansville, but then again, COVID happened, and and we're still at around 60 students. Um, we've had several Zoom calls. We've done a Zoom call for uh, transgender students and issues, non-binary students and issues. We did a coming out Zoom call, and then a safeguarding mental health Zoom call led by our social worker. Um, it's hard to get kids together to do anything social right now, and mm-hmm. now we're all virtual. So Zoom, yeah. Right. So we're optimistic. We're hoping things will be a little bit more normal this coming summer because that's what really broke everybody's hearts. They wanted to march in the Pride Parade as a unit. So, you know, at the very least, we're providing our kids with that kind of sense of community and have that many students show up, regardless of whether or not they're allies or members of the Mm -hmm. the speaks volumes for our school. Yes. And what and what high school students want to achieve, right? Um, I'm like really like throwing you uh, under the bus here, but if somebody would be interested in doing a GSA at their high school, can I, if they contact me, can I forward the email to you? Okay, keep your your privacy. But if, you know, if anybody else is interested in doing that at a high school, that Marissa probably can give some really good tips. Absolutely. There's nothing confidential about what I do. And I'd be really happy to share some of my opening ideas. The GSA is a national organization and has a website, but I did have to kind of adapt what I wanted to accomplish and with my students feedback and get, and get things rolling in a way that was unique to my school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have you seen the prom yet? I did. My daughter and I watched it. And then I, and then there yeah. were I have a very worldly 10 year old, but at one point she looked at me and said, what is a hot ass milf? <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, I, I enjoy we'll tell you later, honey. <laughs> right. Like, okay. I'm hoping you'll forget by the time the movie is over. Um, <laughs> yes. Loved it. So a couple questions. Um, did you have a coming out song when you came out? Um, a song that was popular that that kind of registered with me was the song Starving by Haley Bedingfield. Okay. Um, and the, I mean, it's, it didn't come out to me in the exact meaning of the chorus, but the, the opening line of the chorus is, I didn't know that I was starving till I tasted you. Now, all tasting aside, because that's not where I was going, <laughs> more the idea that I didn't know what I was missing about life until you got until I figured this out. So many things. Well, it's funny because I feel like I say to people all the time is you end up seeing life through a different lens. For me, and it was like see life yeah. through before. It's I like, was like very it was sad. Underwater. Yeah. It was like being underwater and then putting goggles on and yeah seeing things so clearly and and even the normalization of some of my mannerisms. I've never liked carrying a purse. 
Mm -hmm. And I always felt like that was weird. So I would cram, like when I went out with friends, I would put my ID and my debit cards and any cash in a pocket. Mm -hmm. Now the obvious thing to do would have been to just slip my military wallet in my back pocket, but straight women don't do that, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's how we're kind of conditioned to be. Being a lesbian really freed me from a lot of those preconceived ideas of how right carry my wallet in my back pocket now not because i think i'm a man or not because it's masculine or androgynous but because i don't like a purse and that's the logical place to put my wallet and mm -hmm. i could really care less what people think and it's pretty normal in the lesbian community so it is you just need your ring of keys <laughs> yeah well yeah i mine is mine is small i would show it to you but i honestly i don't know where i put it <laughs> okay so you are, this is a tough question to ask an English teacher who teaches English, but like a book that really blew your mind. I'm going to, I'm going to make it even harder for you. That really blew your mind and changed your perspective on something in life. It doesn't have to be about being gay. Sure. Um, I did a, a book study actually at work um, over a Brene Brown book and I've read several of hers and I'm trying to remember, was, is it Dare to Lead? Or yeah, Dare to Lead or Daring Greatly or... Yeah, it was Dare to Lead because I remember thinking I might, maybe I wouldn't get as much out of the professional book, but that one actually had more that registered with me about vulnerability. Well, she is apparently like, so I've, so you're like the fifth person I've interviewed. Three have mentioned. <laughs> so apparently she is our guru. <laughs> I, I think we need to let her know that. I think so too. And I think um, she needs to do a session for us. Yes, I was gonna, I'm gonna really recommend another great Brene Brown book, which I really like. It was her first one, I believe it's called, I Thought It Was Just Me, in which she deals with shame, which is a really big part of yes. our community, whether you came out at 18 or, or 45. Um, <laughs> and uh, it is a really helpful, because she not only like helps you define it for yourself and what you have shame about, but she gives you resilience, these things. And basically, you know what the secret is about shame? talk about it well and yeah and I you, had always, it, you douse it with empathy you find like-minded people that will listen to you like what we did at the conference and then you douse it with empathy which you always get with a usually typically with a group of women and you douse it with empathy and the shame goes away <laughs> yeah yeah so. there, was, there was so much of her work that resonated with me and the idea I think I had always admired people who were aloof and more reserved um and I thought somehow that, that stoicism was equated to courage. And I, I think I always knew in my heart that being vulnerable was more courageous, but the way Brene Brown worded it and the fact that she uses cuss words in her writing, which I mean, I love, I love obscenity. I'm a master of it. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe it allowed me to enjoy the I have book. a truck driver mouth when I'm not doing so. Oh, I, I brought my soldier mouth with me from the army. Yeah. Um, you so, know, so I, I model that with my kids. I, I try to share when appropriate, especially when we do personal reflections. Um, yeah. And I've told them that they can ask me questions. And as long as it's not inappropriate for me to answer, I will answer their questions because I think my students need to see that we as teachers are human with frailty and vulnerability, the same as everybody else so that they don't feel so alone. Oh, yeah. Since teenagers yeah. tend to think that they are the only ones experiencing something, which reminds me of 39 year old me coming out. Well, you know, your kids are lucky to have you, honey. I'm so blessed to have them. question, best thing about your life today? For the first time in my life, I think I'm comfortable in my own skin. Mm -hmm. 
I, I think I always felt no matter what group I was, no matter how much I felt a part of it, there was always some kind of invisible wall. And I never, I wasn't a good straight woman, if that makes sense. I never mm -hmm. felt like I'm not doing this right. You know, I'm, there's, there was always something different. Mm -hmm. Now I know what it was. Right. And that has given me a lot of peace and allowed me to be a lot more naturally expressive, like stupid little things like carrying my wallet in my back pocket instead of losing debit cards because I kept them in a pocket with my keys. Yeah. Or, and, you know, go on a video and talk about all this. Right. Exactly. That's pretty vulnerable. <laughs> out of my comfort zone for sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah um, I'm, I'm content. I'm settled regardless of if I end up partnered or not. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really irrelevant to the general contentedness of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm living my truth. I'm not hiding. I'm not anxious. And, and that's a tremendous weight off my shoulders. You know, I want to say something. First of all, thank you. Your story is amazing. And the way you tell it is so beautiful. <laughs> and your vulnerability. And, and really, you can see and I can hear all the work you've put into this, like emotionally and spiritually and everything like that. And I feel like your story is incredibly valuable and it will be so helpful for so many people. So I'm really grateful for you to come on today, Marissa. So thank, well, thank you, you for giving me the opportunity to put it to words. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, again, thank you very much. It was wonderful to have you and well. <laughs> thank you. You too. <laughs>